Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 313 of the show, and uh, it is freaking cold outside. I don't know where you are, but I'm in Toronto, and it has been nonstop snowing, and I'm cold all the time. I don't know. Maybe this is just like the Canadian in me, or I don't know, but uh, I have like winter amnesia. I always forget how bad winter gets every single winter. I'm like, it won't be that bad. And then winter hits and uh, it's damn cold. Anyways, uh, but you know, there's nothing quite like listening to a podcast on a cold day when you're, you know, tucked inside warm underneath a blanket. Am I right? And also specifically listening to, I mean, an episode about this topic. I'm actually really excited to finally share this episode. This was a book that I read, um, I guess this was back in December or November or something like that. And I feel like I've been telling everybody (laughs) to read it. And now I finally have the episode to share that goes along with it. So for this episode, I've got the wonderful and super smart Spencer Jacob on the show. He's an award-winning financial journalist and a former top-rated stock analyst at Credit Suite. And he is uh, currently the editor of Heard on the Street, the Wall Street Journal's financial and economic analysis column. And he also holds a master's degree in international affairs from Columbia University. And he has a brand new book out called The Revolution That Wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors. Because we're actually, very interestingly enough, uh, the one-year anniversary of uh, the whole GameStop mania situation is here. This is it. It's been, I can't believe it was only one year ago that it happened because it honestly feels like so long ago. No, it was only one year ago. It's crazy. Um, So I'm super excited to have Spencer on the show because he, his book and also in this episode breaks down what the heck happened uh, and, and why is it still happening? <laughs> why is it still continuing to happen? Why? And, and also how did what happened last January with GameStop and, you know, Reddit, re- which really fueled the whole situation, how has that impacted the world of investing, but also mo- more, I'd say, uh, not investing, but speculation? How has that really fueled the fires uh, throughout the year? Because I feel like it's been one year and it sort of seems like no one's learned anything from the whole situation. But I mean, you know, we should really take some (laughs) lessons from what happened a year ago. Um, Anyways, I can't wait to share this episode with you. Uh, Of course, I'm going to be giving away a copy of his book as well. So make sure to check, uh, listen to the end and find more information about that. But uh, without further ado, I just wanted to share a few words about this podcast episode sponsor and we'll get right to that interview with Spencer. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Oxio. Have you had it with the big internet providers in Canada? The contracts, constantly shifting prices, and customer service that will keep you on hold for hours? If only there was another option that could provide you with the same quality internet, minus all that other BS. Oh wait, there is. Oxio, a digital internet service provider that first launched in Quebec in 2019 and has since expanded to Ontario and British Columbia. Oxio is everything the big telecom companies are not. Heck, it's even in Oxio's manifesto that they want to be the first internet provider people actually like. So what makes them different? Well, they provide unlimited internet, no contracts, fast and local customer service, they don't sell your data, and they pride themselves in being radically transparent with their pricing. No. Seriously, for all their internet packages, they show you the breakdown of where your money goes from network costs all the way to how much the company actually profits. Not only that, Oxio's prices are typically lower than the average market price. So switching could mean more money in your pocket. That's actually why I'm making the switch to Oxio myself. Want to give it a try too? 
Well, just visit Oxio.ca and use promo code MORMONEY to try out Oxio for free for one month. It's as simple as that. Once again, visit Oxio.ca, that's O-X-I-O dot C-A, and use promo code MORMONEY to try Oxio for free for one month. Welcome to the More Money Podcast, Spencer. I'm thrilled to have you on the show to talk about your, your book, which I could not put down. Thanks so much for having me, and thank you very much for saying that. You're so welcome. So you wrote the book, The Revolution That uh, Wasn't, uh, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors, which uh, I, like I mentioned before, I hit the record button. I uh, kind of read it like I was binging Netflix. Um, I read it in a weekend and could not put it down and then kept on stopping reading to tell my husband about <laughs> like, oh, he's like, yeah, 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 I'll read it later. Um, so I, I really loved it. You did a great job explaining what the heck happened in uh, January 2021 with the whole uh, GameStop situation. And for me, I really appreciate it because even though, you know, I'm in this personal finance space and, you know, keep tabs on things, I am so not in the world of all of the Wall Street bet situations. I didn't know about Wall Street bets until, uh, yeah, basically GameStop mania uh, happened because it is not really a place for someone like me right? Yeah. in general. You know, I, when, I, when I wrote it, I mean, so there are a few, you know, when you write a book like this, it's for for a mass audience, and you know, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, about people like my mom or my sister or whatever, you know, and to, I wanted to make sure that that someone who's who's educated but has no background in finance is able to understand it. But the people mostly who uh, who read early review copies uh, do work in finance or even economics professors and things like that, and uh, they they liked it a lot too because um, it. You know, it, it accurately explains uh, what happened, and so the the way that the story is told is that it, it it's such an amazing story, and so it starts at the beginning, which is really before the beginning, before it it was on our radar, and tells the story, you know, a, as it sort of built momentum, and people didn't realize until very late what was happening, and then it was the the biggest news story uh, that week, basically, uh, you know, even after uh, here in the United States, Joe Biden had assumed the presidency and all this stuff was going on. It kind of overtook that even. Uh, all the late night talk show hosts were talking about this. So, I mean, I, I, I wanted the, um, the the book to tell the story of what went on, and, uh, and that is important. Um, but as the book goes along, I kind of, you know, I, I don't want to leave people baffled by what's going on. And so there's a a bit of an explanation. Every other chapter is basically an explanation of the kind of salient thing that was going on either in social media or in finance that was happening at the time. Um, you know, what's the role of influencers? What is a short squeeze? How did it work? You know, what's a, a gamma squeeze, which was like a really important part of, of what happened. So um, I, you know, was very careful to sort of explain and explain at the kind of relevant time, not to kind of drone on and, and, and lecture, but just to sort of not leave anybody in the dark. Yeah, no, and I think you did a really good job uh, with that. I think why people, even people who weren't involved in, in what was going on or just kind of from the sidelines like myself, who just only kind of heard about what was going on when it was happening, will enjoy the book. Because like you mentioned, it started years before, you know, January 2021. But also, I think for, for lots of people who, 
you know, maybe don't go on Reddit, aren't involved in that kind of like, because there's a whole weird subculture that I had kind of no idea about. It was it was this thing that was kind of, you know, bubbling to this boiling point and kind of shocked everybody. And I think what was important that I learned from your book was so many of uh, the kind of news outlets kind of got it wrong, what actually happened. It seemed kind of like the overall theme that you were kind of talking about is, um, you know, the, the kind of subculture that was, you know, Wall Street bets. They were very much thinking they were David against Goliath. They were uh, trying to, you know, stick it to the man, and they were really uh, blaming hedge funds. But it's there's so many other kind of characters and and people, and like you kind of talk about, you know, right at the end, it's like the house always wins. You know, I think everyone really thought, oh yeah, we're finally going to take over Wall Street, and but Wall Street still got rich, and I think that's that's what I appreciate. It's like we need to remember at the end of the day, you know. At the end of the day, if you see people getting rich quick, it's not as simple as that. Not only is it not as simple as that, but times when people think that they it's easy to outfox Wall Street are the best times for Wall Street. And and that's like that's you know, there's like the there's a saying in investing that uh, the four most dangerous words are this time is different. And it's never different. And and one thing, I mean, of course, this story is different. It has like all kinds of modern hues to it, like social media and free trading apps and smartphones that didn't exist 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, all these, you know, there, there are lots of, of bull markets where a lot of people get separated from their money by Wall Street. The constant, though, is when people think that uh, they've figured it out, that they've, that they've kind of taken on Wall Street, uh, that's a, a good time typically for Wall Street, when lots of people can get into the market with their savings. And the different thing, I guess, this time, other than smartphones and social media and stuff like that, is that the bar has been lowered a lot uh, in terms of, you know, a a lot of of new people got in because of of competition and technology. You know, it wasn't possible 20 years ago to open a brokerage account with uh, 50 bucks. No one would do that for you. It wasn't possible to buy 0.2 of a share. Uh, you had to buy at least an entire share, and you would you'd be paying a, a lot in commission to do it. It wasn't possible to uh, open up this app on your smartphone and start trading right away with borrowed money. It wasn't possible to get approved for options trading in two minutes, you know, and then stop start buying options, which are a, a complicated instrument that pe- many people don't understand. Um, you know, I, I you know I, I had a lot of smart lay people. Uh, read the the first drafter draft of my chapter explaining how the, the how options played into this and i had to kind of keep going back and simplifying and simplifying just explaining you know how they worked and how they you know and i think now it's it is pretty easy easy to understand i hope but i mean that will tell you like these all these smart people who are reading this who don't dabble in options I, I had to kind of really explain pretty carefully how they played a role and how they work and then you have people signing up for it in two minutes who are 19 years old, you know, who have never had a, a stock account, you know, and then they're they're using them and they're just doing dumb, dumb stuff, you know, uh, you know, and so it's 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 kind of it's sad to see, you know, and, and that's that's the my main feeling from all this is that it's it's sad to see a new round, you know, kind of cohort of people coming in and kind of feeding their savings to Wall Street. Yeah. And and like you kind of mentioned, too, it's I feel like especially with the young investors getting in and their first interaction with investing is actually speculation and then getting burned. 
they may then halt any kind of future endeavors to invest to like, you know, save it for retirement because they have such a bad taste in their mouth, which is for me really worrying, which is why I like having people you uh, like you on the show to kind of talk about, you know, <laughs> what you should not do, which I think is also the uh, other theme of your book. One thing, since you kind of mentioned it, the I'd say a big catalyst to, to how this all happened was the, uh, you know, brokerage app Robinhood in Canada. We don't have that, but we do have similar apps that are basically roughly Robinhood, and there's a lot more people demanding commission-free, um, you know, brokerages. Most of the brokerages here in Canada do have commissions. There's a few that do not, or they have, you know, you know, there's like one big bank has finally gotten rid of commission. So we're we're always like a little bit further behind in terms of our kind of financial industry and products and things like that. But I kind of feel like, and my sentiment has always been, if something looks too good to be true, like, oh, this app makes it so easy and accessible. And so it'll get a lot of new people in to invest. And we're, you know, like you kind of mentioned that the uh, Robin had kept on saying, oh, we're democratizing, you know, uh, the investing uh, world and making it more accessible for people, which sounds all good on the front of it. But um, then it also, yeah, like there's, there's, then there's no barriers and people can borrow and, and make some really questionable investment decisions because they think it's a game because again these apps work like they're games which is really scary totally i mean you know you, there were speculators who got in over their heads in the 1920s and uh in the 1990s and in the early 2000s and and so that's that's nothing new and you can even go back to the what the 1720s in england or the 1630s in netherlands i guess if you go back to the beginning of stock markets you know there that's kind of a never ending story and it was a lot more expensive and the barriers to entry were were a lot higher and and people did things that you know kind of enriched the people who kind of you know were uh, in in finance and not themselves. So that's not new. But but this is a when you make something free, then you kind of cross a Rubicon. First of all, it's, of course, nothing is free, right? I mean, it's like you know people. We learn that about social media, and there's a real parallel there. Uh, you know, Facebook is is a lot of fun. Uh, to, to be on, but it, it isn't free because you are the product. The more active you are, the more you are the product. And it, the, really the same thing applies to these quote-unquote free trading apps. You are the product. First of all, it's, it's not free. It does cost something to, uh, to process a stock trade, and you just don't see it. it. It's called free, but then it goes through a whole series of, of people taking their cut, uh, including and especially Robinhood, uh, which that's how they make their money. 80% of their money comes from you trading. They would like you to trade a lot. They would like you to trade not only a lot, but uh, recklessly and to uh, to buy stocks that are not, like maybe not Apple, but to buy some stock like GameStop or like AMC, something that's not uh, not as big of a company that has a bigger spread because they they get paid kind of on the back end for that. And and when something is free, that the thing is that like, Think about things today that we think about as free that, that weren't free, you know, in, in history. I mean, you, you're a bit younger than me, but I remember when I was a kid and, you know, you had to call somebody uh, long distance, you know, and my family didn't have a lot of money and somebody would call long distance, like the whole family would be lined up and then you'd have to talk, you know, talk really fast to get on the phone and whatever. I remember yeah, long distance exactly. calling. <laughs> Which, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like, oh, it's like, are they calling long distance? You call okay, your friend no. halfway around the world. <laughs> Put the phone right? down. <laughs> I, I spent a lot more time talking to friends in other countries and other cities than I, I used to, for sure. And, and it, I many multiples more than, than I, I would have thought because it, it kind of is, I mean, you pay, pay something for it, but it is kind of free. And stock trading, when, you know, the 
there's an economic theory about this called the um, you know zero price effect. But you know when something goes, even if it costs very little, you're still going to have to think about it. Even if it costs a, a buck to trade, you're going to say like, well, it costs a buck. I'm, do I really need to do this? Am I? Do I care? Is it important? When it costs zero, or when you you think of it as zero in your mind, then that that barrier is gone. And if it's something that you enjoy, especially then, uh, and people seem to enjoy stock trading, it kind of became a national pastime during the pandemic, especially then, you know, that you just do a lot of it. And it, the amount of trading, especially by young people who had never had a brokerage account, who were home, bored, had a bit of extra money, got stimulus checks here in the United States. It, when the pandemic began, suddenly there were no sports to bet on. And there's been a huge upsurge in, in sports, online sports gambling here in the U.S. since 2018. And many of the very same people uh, started gambling on, on stocks, basically. And gambling is really the only word for it because they were, they were not doing any fundamental analysis. They were basically sort of betting on the direction and doing it with small amounts of money that didn't seem very meaningful to them. Uh, and and that, that's the, what began to set the stage for the story that's told in this book. Yeah, the, the one like thing that kind of worries me because now we're like, okay, that happened last January. It's been almost 12 months. You'd think that with how things played out, people would have taken some lessons from it. Like, don't do this. This is gambling. Uh, people did lose money. But I think we, again, the the more sensational story is the people like uh, who you mentioned, uh, Gil, who is, I'm going to this like, names. I just laughed so hard reading the book of some of the terminology. I'm like, oh my gosh. So his like Reddit name was Deep yep. Fucking Value and his YouTube name was Roaring Kitty. I can't. It's just ridiculous. Anyways, he... He got, you know, he was the one of the people who became, uh, you know, a multimillionaire. But there's and then there's people that were following him, even though he didn't necessarily say do as I do. But I mean, if you're on Reddit is kind of implied, I'd say Um, they lost money. And you'd think that these people would then take an account of like, okay, well, this was a a bad situation. I'm not going to repeat this. But I've seen throughout the year. No, if anything, people are like, no, we're just going to find the next GameStop, the next situation to get rich quick. And for me, so just a little background, I started my personal finance blog, which started as just like, oh, you know, budgeting and just like very basic stuff. And then, you know, it has evolved. I started it 10 years ago. And so it's been very interesting to see the evolution of what people have been talking about, either just like you know, regular readers or, you know, people in the media. And for a good chunk of time, index funds was like the cool, like maybe not cool, but like it was like the thing that people talk about. And I feel like in the past two years since the pandemic in like March 2020, no one's really talking about indexing as much besides like the people that have always been talking about it like myself. But it's all about, and especially for younger people in their 20s, I've had so many conversations uh, over these past several months uh, about this, is the idea of, yeah, getting rich quick, getting that, you know, thing to 10x, um, you know, cryptocurrency, of course, you didn't really talk too much about it, uh, but it's it's very similar, I'd say, to the GameStop situation. We're about, you know, uh, getting that, you know, get rich quick. Cause, and I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty in this world. A lot of us millennials, too, have been burned or our parents have been burned by, you know, uh, the previous stock market crash and recession in 2008. It's interesting, but also for me, again, very worrisome that lessons haven't necessarily been learned. And I'm seeing so many, I'm seeing so many repeat uh, situations happening. And especially too, and you do talk about this in the book, the rise of kind of financial influencers. Like I'm kind of technically one, but again, I'm talk I, I talk about boring stuff like index investing and paying down your debt and budgeting and being responsible. But a lot of the people on like YouTube and TikTok and Reddit 
are just talking about the hot stocks and uh, really speculative stuff, which is really crazy. So when I'm having these conversations with these young, you know, people, that is actually what they think investing is. They've never even heard of, you know, <laughs> buy and holding or just index investing. What are your kind of thoughts well, that's, on that? Well, that's so interesting. So you said that you're a financial influencer and you are, and I'm, and you're mm-hmm. a really benign influence by, uh, by recommending that people... <laughs> You know, buy and hold and think long term and buy low cost mm-hmm. uh, products like index funds. Yeah, not sexy stuff. It's not sexy <laughs> stuff. And and so you know, when you you mix social media into it, um, then bad things happen. Uh, and I mean, that's not that you can outlaw social media, but I mean, you, you can see how this happens. So let's say that um, you know you go on uh, some investing forum on Reddit, and and this a lot of the story plays out on the probably one of the wildest investing forums, which is uh, our Wall Street Bets. And um, and then you go on it, and then another person goes on it, and you say, "Hey, you know, I put ten percent of my uh, money into this uh, this index fund. I think it's really good, good value." Da da da. And the other person gets on and says, "I took out a second mortgage on my house, put um, you know, made a heavily leveraged bet into short dated, uh, out of the money call options on a meme stock." You know, which one of you? I mean. Aside from what's more exciting, obviously that is more exciting. It's not just that that is more exciting. It's that your post is not going to become visible and his post is going to become visible. So now pretend that uh, that I'm someone who doesn't know much about investing. I've heard about this forum about investing. I go on it on Reddit because I want to learn something. I'm not by nature a gambler. I'm not going to see your post. Your post has not been upvoted. Uh, it not, not might not have been downvoted. But it hasn't been upvoted. Um, whereas the the reckless persons, just by sheer dint of their recklessness and it being kind of an interesting, crazy thing, whether or not they actually did that or not, they might not have. They might just be because the currency of social media is is attention, is that they got attention and you didn't. And so, if I'm looking for a role model or I'm trying to figure out how this thing is done, well, that's that's what I see. And so uh, it it is um, really un- unhelpful. And you asked earlier, you know, so what's the upshot of this? Like what, what happens to these young people? I mean, and I I think they're probably going to fall into a few different buckets. I think there are some people, I mean, obviously a few will have made quick money, but I mean, the, you know, the success is the worst teacher, right? I mean, if you, if you made, there, there are people who send me like, you know, hate mail when I write about this and say, screw you, you know, I made all this money, yeah, you're just jealous. Well, who were you working for? You know, and I mean, the, the thing is that if you even if you make money early in one of these things, if it convinces you to keep on going back to the, the casino and they're out treating it like casino, then the res- long-term results are unlikely to be good. Then there are, are people who, who lost money but who might keep on going back to the casino as many degenerate gamblers do, even though they, they regularly lose money. And I mean... I hate calling stock market casino. It generally is not, but but I, I think in in this case it's it's a more apt description, right? I mean, the stock market is a place to match up savings with companies that need it, right? I mean, it's a stock market is not a bad place, but it's but that that's kind of not how they they don't really kind of have not learned that. And then there are people I think who will have lost money and learned their lesson, but then what lesson do they learn? There's some who are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to get rich. I'm going to buy something simple and forget about it, which is, was the best lesson to take away from this. And if you if you have an early bad experience and that's the lesson you take away, then that's great. I hope more people do. You know, it's an expensive lesson, but more expensive, you know, it could be, could be worse. And then there are people who unfortunately are going to have a really expensive lesson, which is 
The stock market is crooked. It's rigged by fat cats, and I'm just not going to play. I'm going to stay out of this. And and they're cutting themselves off from this long-term wealth-creating opportunity, which is which is too bad. Yeah, it's it's really yeah, it is kind of uh, concerning. Yeah, people. And yeah, there's just there's just so much there's so many storylines and so much going on <laughs> that uh, under the surface uh, of the GameStop situation, it was kind of crazy. One thing that I think the reason that I was like, you know, kind of out of the loop, uh, especially is like I'm a woman and it is a very male dominated culture, especially Wall Street bets. Like was it you said some stat like it was like 98 percent male or something. It was like very high proportion to men. And I think part of that, too, is there's a certain also like subculture of this like stock like you know, people know it's like stock bro culture where it's all about kind of one upping each other. And it is, again, like not about like building wealth over time. It's kind of just about showing your account, you know, screenshots, even even um, showing the the money that you've lost apparently is like a thing that you do. And it's like, is it all just to get attention? Is it all just to get confirmation from your peers? Is it just to be part of a community? I almost kind of feel like that's part of it. It's like you just want to be part of something. It is part of it. You know, it's that that part of it is um, is, a, is a bit surprising and different is that, yeah, there's this it's called lost porn where people will will show <laughs> screenshots of their accounts. I mean, I, can you imagine showing? Uh, uh, to Absolutely me, not. To me, it's a, it's a private thing. I would I mean, obviously, even if you want anyone to know. Yeah, exactly. Even if your name and account number and even if you're behind an anonymous thing, why would you show it? But that's that, you know, younger people are uh, are much more open to doing that. And so it, it is what it, what it is. And especially on Wall Street bets, it became more of a thing uh, a few years back, a few years before our story begins, uh, because there were people who, who claimed to have made a lot of money or lost a, money, bought a bunch of money, done sort of reckless things, and, uh, and then wound up, turned out that they were making it up. You know, they kind of got a lot of attention. And so the kind of proof of trade is what it's called, you know, sort of, you know, showing a screenshot that you actually did it. Uh, there was, I mean, I go into the case of a guy who is actually Canadian, uh, uh, who, you know, you know, mentioned early in the book, who was one of the real characters uh, and on on Wall Street Bets and wrote a, an ebook about it, and you know, and kind of had them all on tenterhooks, but then made the whole thing up. He says, you know, where he was like, you know, he live streamed himself having a nervous breakdown because he made some huge all or nothing bet with all his money on Apple earnings. So, I mean, it's it, it's weird, but um, yeah, the showing that you know, a million dollars in your account. Um, so in particular, if you're showing that you've had a lot of success, that that has a, um, a deep psychological effect. You know, if you don't know, you know, I, I don't know if you, ha- I guess you probably have them in, in, in Canada or some form of them. Uh, you, they used to be on TV a lot late at night. If you were an insomniac, you know, there are these, uh, these infomercials where you'd have some guy pull up in a Rolls Royce in front of his yacht or in front of his mansion with a, a you know beautiful woman on on each arm and tell you about how he made a lot of money and you can too and just order these DVDs or these cassettes or or whatever and that's that's called social proof and you know the same thing is at play when whether or not that you intend for it to be or not when you show a screenshot of your account you made a lot of money you have a lot of money or you made a lot of money and so clearly you're, you're someone to be emulated, someone who knows uh, what he is talking about because you've made all this money. And the, what, the key influencer in all this thing, uh, 
really did not intend to do that, I don't think, uh, who was Roaring Kitty, uh, aka Deep Fucking Value, you know, who made a tremendous amount of money, uh, who was more sophisticated than 99% of these people, who was really ignored through most of the story as he was building up this bet and then, and then kind of was discovered and became the sort of the center of attention, became the most famous person on the internet for a while uh, because he had made this bet and he wouldn't sell. And every day, his, you know, he was just leaving so much. He had gone from like nothing to a huge amount of money to over $50 million at one point. And he just kept his bet riding. And, and so he was an inspiration to all these people. And I don't, I don't think that his intent was to, uh, to get rich by having them all ride his coattails. It just, uh, just bound up that way. Oh, I, I can't say for sure. Can't get into his mind. He certainly wasn't discouraging them. Like, that's the thing. He says he wasn't, you know, he didn't explicitly say, do as I do or hold on like I'm holding on. But that's the thing. It's like there, he did obviously have influence. And th that's one of the things that I kind of was a bit irritated. I'm like, he didn't discourage people. He didn't say, like, hey, there's these risks involved, you know. Yeah, that's no, the, he he, he didn't. Know. I mean, and I, I it's hard to to say if there's any remorse there. I mean, because he was, you know, of course, you know, he was sort of, oh, I'm just one of the kids, I'm one of the whatever, you know, and he was, you know, you know, he, he actually is uh, a registered broker, although he was not, did not have clients. Uh, he had a chartered financial analyst designation, which is a very difficult thing to get. Uh, takes uh, takes at least a few years of, uh, of, of study and about a thousand hours of, of work to, to get. Um, you know, so he was he was more sophisticated than almost anybody else on the on the board. Uh, yet he spoke their language, and so I think that he probably should have have understood what was going on. But of course, it it all happened at the at the end. If you kind of look, you go back to when he was when basically nobody was paying attention to him. It's all there in the record. His videos are there, and his posts are there. You know, he was he he just kind of assumed he was being ignored. He was just doing it for himself, really. And and the couple of dozen people who happened to tune in who probably didn't understand half the stuff he was talking about. Yeah, well, that yeah, that is like the concerning thing is like you'd think he would have known better. Just that he well, first and that's like the biggest issue I think with like you know social media and like people getting their information just from social media and forums like Reddit is everyone's anonymous. He was anonymous for pretty much the whole time until it all really um, you know peaked, and he pretended kind of or didn't you know again. Uh, clarify that, hey, he is a CFA, and that's a very de hard uh, designation to get, but he also works in the financial industry. So he is actually part of, you know, he is kind of the man, or he works yeah. for the man, but he was pretending like he was, oh no, I'm, I'm trying to work against the man, but he was actually, <laughs> so I'm just like, it's just one of those things where it's, yeah, I think people just wanted something to believe in and, and and another kind of theme that I, I felt you know reading your book was the the idea of like war revolution you know fighting against evil and I think again it's like people maybe because of just like what's been going on in the world the past several years they wanted something um it, you know digital I guess because we couldn't really leave our houses too to believe in and to fight against so you felt like you were doing something and um you know yeah we all you know kind of hate you know there's always this kind of hate against the the ultra wealthy and we feel like they're evil and they're just uh, taking advantage and we thought this was maybe an opportunity to kind of flip the script but in the end it didn't and, and, <laughs> and like all the characters it's like no one really knew what was going on but just once there's like this kind of 
group that becomes bigger and bigger, it's a huge wave that's kind of difficult to stop. I you guess. know, and people said, oh, this is like Occupy Wall Street. And I mean, it kind of is. I mean, in terms <laughs> of the, the, the sentiment that's at the core of it, because there's this sort of like, mm -hmm. let's tear this place down, screw these guys, mm -hmm. except you're doing it with your money. You're not doing it. Your right, you're doing it with your own money, and you're yeah. using your brokerage account as a as a weapon. So this whole thing came to my attention. Um, I, I've got three sons, and uh, my oldest boy at the the time the events took place was a senior uh, in university, and uh, you know his friend who uh, was a really really clever kid. Uh, his, his age I've known since he was a tiny little boy. Uh, you know, my son comes over to me and says, "Oh, dad, are you?" Uh, are you going to write anything about GameStop? I was editing for the Wall Street Journal, editing at home because we were COVID-19. And I was like, why would I write anything about that? He's like, oh, I, my friend Sean uh, bought you know bought the stock and he doubled his money in the last couple of days. And I'm like, well, really? I was like, you know, and I looked it up. And I, of course, I had been kind of ha had half an eye on Wall Street bets for about a year at that point because some stock would go up a ton, you know, and, and then later you'd say like, oh, because it had been talked about on Wall Street bets. And it was all kind of very funny. Uh, you know, sometimes bankrupt companies would du double or go up tenfold, you know, stuff that like clearly had no value, like somebody was going to be left holding this bankrupt company at the end, you know? And, and so I was like, oh, well, tell, tell Sean, like he'd, you know, probably, I mean, I, I don't want to give out, out investment advice to anybody, but like, I, I would not really hold on to that. I mean, uh, but then the thing that really piqued my interest, he said, no, he's not going to sell. I said, what do you mean he's not going to sell? Like, that's not, that's not what you buy stock. You buy stock to sell it, especially one that doubled. He said, no, 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 because these people are buying it and they're not going to sell. And so then I started reading the, the message board and, uh, you know, it was the, the purpose of doing it was to, to buy and to not sell because they understood that these hedge funds had, uh, were totally exposed. And so they were doing it not to make money necessarily, or many of the people weren't doing it to make money. They were doing it so others could lose money because they had used short selling, which is, involves borrowing stock you don't own. To, uh, to make a profit when it, when it declines, and you buy it back later. If people buy and don't sell, then all of a sudden there's a, hardly any shares to buy. And so that was, the, that was the, the situation that they engineered by buying stock, and especially by buying stock options. And so the, the, what these people were, were trying to accomplish, many of them were trying to accomplish, was to cause others to lose money. And that became as important or in some cases more important than them making money. They thought that they would make money in the process, but they were buying the shares and especially buying the stock options of GameStop and then it expanded to a, a broader list of companies that um, if they made them go up and if they wouldn't sell them, uh, then in theory these hedge funds would lose a ton of money, and they, they did. I write about one in particular that lost about $6 billion in a few days, one of the most successful hedge funds on Wall Street, uh, as a result of, of what they did. And so, did they win? Did they stick it to the man? Well, not really, because uh, other hedge funds made a lot of money off of this. So if what, yeah, and the hedge fund managers too. I think a lot of people think that these hedge fund managers who are like the you know they're 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 rich. They've got the yachts. Let's stick it to them so their fund doesn't make money. Well, they're still making money no matter what. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, Gabe Plotkin, who's at the center of this, he 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 had made personally. He personally made the year before this when this this the whole year that this mm -hmm. all these young people got into the market uh, and and pumped stocks up and created a lot of volatility. He made eight hundred and sixty million dollars. I mean, how would you like to make eight hundred and sixty oh million? God. There's no 
star athlete <laughs> in the world. There's, there's, you know, can you, there's very few people in the world who have ever made that sort of a paycheck in a single year. And then he, he did personally lose a lot of wealth. He, m- most of the people who lost money, by the way, were, um, were like university endowments, pension funds, and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you were, first of all, you didn't... So really, it's the little guy that still lost money because those are the people that would benefit from those pensions. Yes, indirectly, they lost money, yeah, because mm-hmm. the, those are the yeah. main investors in, uh, in, in his fund, for what it's worth. But uh, other hedge funds uh, made money. It evened out. It, it, so, it, it's not like a, it's like a zero-sum game where all these uh, people on Reddit made $6 billion and he lost $6 billion. It's not the way it works. Very few of them made made money. People who were very early to it and, and maybe who were cynical and got out uh, did pretty well. Uh, but lots of them lost money. And, and lots of people on Wall Street made money. And by the way, a lot of, of rich executives made a lot of money uh, because they just, you know, they were like running failing companies. And all of a sudden, the, the, the share prices shot up. Well, what do you do? You, you know it's not going to last. So you, you cash out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was really sad, too. I, I feel like there's a lot of stories, and I even still see them. A lot of them, honestly, focused with Robinhood, because I still feel like there's a lot of issues with that app, just with people not having... Because, you know, very well, they're like, hey, it's we're not giving advice. You can do whatever you want. We're just, you know, here's just a tool. It's up to you to use. And so, like, we're not, you know, uh, involved. But so many people, again, just get in there and just start making, you know, crazy moves and, and borrowing and not understanding. And I just see still so many stories of people losing their house or, you know, there was that story of that one, you know, young 20-year-old who committed suicide because um, he didn't understand, um, you know, the risk that he took with his investments and yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Cause it's like, I see where people were coming from. They thought that they were doing something kind of worth uh, fighting for, but really it's that the rich people still got rich and the people that actually were probably the most hurt because uh, they really didn't have that much money to begin with. And they're, you know, playing around with like the little money that they did are, are all the little people that are involved in the whole situation in the first place. Totally. And I mean, and the analogy, um, between Robinhood and some of the more harmful um, social media outlets. Not the ones that are, they weren't designed to be, neither one was designed to be harmful. But then when you turn, when you become a billionaire, like the founders of Robinhood did and the founders of Facebook did um, and and whatnot, and then, you know, you have teenagers, uh, you know, committing suicide because of the way the algorithms work or you have, uh, you design Robinhood to be more and more effective. So, oh, let's have confetti. Let's have a lottery ticket-like element when you sign up where you get a random stock. Oh, let's get them to sign up their friends and then they, they get another sh- free share of stock. Let's, do, let's show the most trending stocks. How do we design this thing to get people as active as possible? I mean, it's, there's a, there are many studies have been done that show that the more frequently you, you check your account, and definitely the more frequently you trade in a brokerage account, the worse you do. It's, it's a well-trodden ground, right? And Robin, active Robinhood users check their accounts eight times a day. That's like as much as Instagram, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you, you, should, you probably should check your account not even eight times a year, you know, if no. you have a, a brokerage account. I mean, you should kind of as much as you can automate things because the more often you look, first of all, the more often, they, they, the way they design their app, you know, you're going to see what's trending, right? 10 most active stocks. Like, well, it's not there because it's a useful service. It's there because they want to create FOMO. Oh, this thing's up 15% and I, I missed it. Let me jump on the bandwagon. Maybe I can get another last last 5 or 10%. 
And that's how people again and again described it to me is like they'd see something moving. They didn't even know what it was. They didn't even know what the company did. Who cares? You know, it's going up. People are buying it. I'm going to jump on. And then some of them were cynical and said, I'm going to jump on for an hour and get out or a day and get out. And, um, and some of them felt like this must be like, maybe this is the next Tesla. I mean, but they didn't know anything about it. And it, it's, it's designed to sort of to make you have that kind of itchy trigger finger and also to make it really, really easy to make the decision to buy or sell something because you, you hardly need any money to, to do it. And, and the more you trade, the more they make. That's, that's their business model. So just like, you know, um, you know, people who put, I don't know, conspiracy theories on Facebook and then it rises to the top and like, well, we don't endorse those conspiracy theories. Like, okay, you don't. But I mean, that's the, that's, that's the way it works. That's the way it's designed. You could design it a different way, but you'd lose money if you did that. And, and Robinhood would lose out to other brokers that co- have copied it uh, if they made it less desirable to trade. Their whole business is based on how often you engage with it. It doesn't matter if you make money. What matters is if you, they don't want you to lose money, but all, really what they want is you to, to use the app a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I see that a lot with like basically our version of Robinhood as well, Simple Trade, which um, is you know basically replicating what Robinhood looks like. I have never used it myself because of everything, <laughs> everything that I know uh, that it's promoting. Like it is targeting young people. It is giving people a free stock when they sign up. They also have a um, a cryptocurrency you know app as well to make it very easy to trade that. And um, you know, although it's it was frustrating as this uh, company started as uh, a robo advisor, which I actually used for a number of years, and it very much was all about boring index investing. But then obviously they saw, wow, we can make a lot more money if we just kind of, you know, jumped on this this train of no commission um, trading and all that kind of stuff. And you wouldn't believe how many people I've had calls with and, and talked to about, you know, asking them, hey, so are you investing? What are you doing? And often I hear, oh, yeah, you know, I use a well, simple trade. And I'm like, what are you investing in? They're like, oh, you know, just playing around with a few stocks. And they usually they use the term playing around. I'm like, but it's not playing. It's your real money. And it's if you lose it, you lose real money. And that's, I think that's the thing that I really, you know, again, I'm going to be focusing a lot more conversations in the next year about is just this idea of getting back to kind of the basics of what does investing and wealth, you know, building mean? It's not entertainment. I know there was actually a line in your book that I'm like, oh, I'm going to underline this. It's like, if something is, uh, if it feels like it's entertaining or exciting, you're not investing. That is not. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, you would. I'd love for that for it not to be the case, but yeah, it it, it shouldn't be entertaining. Um, and you know, what I tell people is like, I I I have given like a lot a lot of talks to, you know, typically like Wall Street Journal reporter shows up. Um, I don't know, like at a big like an investor convention or something, um, and they want people want to hear you talk about stuff. And I talk about personal finance topics a lot. It's um, it's an older crowd almost always. There are a handful of young people. But it, it is is people in their, like, you know, men, probably three-quarters men in their 50s and 60s and even 70s uh, who are, are interested in investing. And, you know, they're a more conservative bunch, of course, uh, but they also want to – it's a great intellectual exercise to invest, right? And so I, I get that. Uh, I would love to – um, you know, if I had a different career than being a journalist to go and, I don't know, be like a hedge fund manager or something. It's, it's fun. It's great to try to, because you're, you're kind of playing this game against everyone else in the world and trying to make money. And so what I, I tell these people who are very 
into finding some hidden gem, overturning some rock and finding something is like, that's not really going to, to help you. There's, there's a chance, of course, that you'll, you'll hit the jackpot, but the, the a- averages are against you. So if you really want to, um, if you just can't keep yourself away, if you need to do that, if you need to, to kind of play the game, you know what, take some, you know how much money you need, take some share of your money, whether it's five or 10 or 20% or whatever, that you, you know if, if it vanished tomorrow, you could, you could you know, eat and pay rent and whatever and live without, and use that. And make that your play money and then don't go beyond that. And then I, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, with with that, but don't don't treat that as your you know your 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 play money to sort of you know to go in and, and invest and then have the rest sort of completely off limits and and get that out of your system and uh, you know that's it's obviously it's not the case with these young people where they're actually using all of their net worth which is not very much to to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's very good advice. And that's what I tell people the exact same thing. It's like there's nothing wrong with buying individual stocks or doing some, you know, speculation or, or something like that. But yeah, you don't bet the whole the, everything in your bank account li- limit. It's just like the same as like buying lottery tickets. It's you could win, but also most likely you're going to lose money. So please do not like put your whole paycheck on them. Just like be sensible about it. Um, Now, before I, I let you go, because honestly, I, I really liked your book. I think every young person, especially who is just getting into investing should read it because I think it's, it's so relevant to what we're seeing online today. Um, just to get a different perspective that they're probably not hearing from some of the platforms that they're on getting this information. Um, before I let you go, what is like one piece of, uh, advice or just a, a, something that you want young investors to know? You gave some really great ones, but anything else, like, you know, you said you have some sons, what would you tell them? Well, my sons are pretty tired now of, of hearing me lecture them, <laughs> but luckily they, they've stayed away from, uh, for more speculative stuff because I've kind of, I've droned on and on about it, um, for, I guess their, their entire lives. So, uh, I guess, you know, my advice would be, you know, if something sounds too easy and too good be, to be true, um, than it is. So be be skeptical. Be skeptical of people who um, who want your money. Always be skeptical of people who want your money. Be conservative with your money. Don't um, you know? Don't take flyers. You know, play. You know, you're 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 unlikely to find a needle in the haystack. So just buy the entire haystack. Buy a really cheap haystack. Buy have most of your money in an index fund. Set it and forget it. Don't worry if the stock market's down thirty percent. Don't go crazy and borrow money if it's up 30%. Just slow and steady wins the game uh, almost all the time in this uh, in this world of investing. Oh, that's a great that's a great uh, little kind of clip audio clip that people should save <laughs> when they're you know feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I, it's really for me also really nice to have you on the show to to share your uh, expertise and really breaking down what the heck happened with GameStop, because I even found it difficult to follow and really understanding what all of the moving parts were involved in and what the, the key takeaways that people should take away from it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. It was a pleasure having you on the show, Spencer. Thanks so much for having me. And that was episode 313 of the More Money Podcast with Spencer Jacob, uh, author of The Revolution That Wasn't GameStop, Reddit, and The Fleecing of Small Investors. Make sure to grab a copy of his book, which is out now. You can also uh, find more information about him at his website, spencerjacob.com, and follow him on Twitter, Spencer at Spencer Jacob. Very easy. Also, his last name is spelled J-A-K-A-B. But if you just go to the show notes for this episode, jessicamorehouse.com slash 
313 or 313 or 313. <laughs> all the same thing. Um, well, you can uh, find all of that information linked in the show notes to make it very easy for you. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I am going to be giving away a copy of his book. Just go to jessicamores.com slash contest to uh, find it there. Enter to win. I'm also giving away a copy of Money Like You Mean It and a bunch of other books in the future as I have more guests on the show who are you know, have a book coming out. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guests that have books. Honestly, I have a pile of books that I'm trying to get through. I'm trying my best this year to read every single person's book before they're on the show. It's very difficult um, because there's a lot of books and a lot of authors, but exciting times. Things to look forward to with this season of the show. Now, we do have a few uh, important things I want to share with you, so uh, don't go away. One includes a webinar I am doing tonight. Yes, tonight, so don't go away. Just want to share a few words about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Oxio. Empathy, radical transparency, simplicity, free spirit. When you hear these words, I doubt the first thing you'd associate them with is an internet company. Oxio wants to change that. They believe in disrupting the internet provider space in Canada and putting the customer first, finally. And they've been doing just this by providing local and friendly customer service, unlimited internet, no contracts, and competitive pricing to customers in Quebec, Ontario, and British Columbia since 2019. Want more reasons to consider ditching your big telecom provider for Oxio? How about one month free and an Eero 6 router for faster internet speeds and better privacy controls at no extra cost? You can even get $25 credited to your account for every friend you refer to Oxio. That's why I'm making the switch to Oxio myself. Want to give it a try too? Well, just visit oxio.ca and use promo code MOREMONEY to try out Oxio for free for one month. It's as simple as that. Once again, visit oxio.ca, that's O-X-I-O dot C-A, and use promo code MOREMONEY to try Oxio for free for one month. Okay, so let's get to the the really important thing. I, I'm doing a webinar tonight. Surprise! Um, the reason I have not mentioned it until today is because honestly, I just got the idea for it last week <laughs> when I was writing up my uh, newsletter for my email subscribers. Which, if you're not on my email list, that is how you you can find out these things um, before everybody else. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com/slash/subscribe to do that. Um, anyways, uh, so I was writing. I'm like, I need to do something exciting. I feel like I've just been talking about me moving, and I just feel like I've just been catching up on work. I need something exciting uh, to happen. So you, you feel like, why am I on this email list? So I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? One thing that I haven't really done is like set my own financial goals. Like I wrote a little bit during a, like Christmas time, like when I had a little downtime, but I honestly, they, I, I need to really sit down and organize my life for, for the coming year. And then I got the the thought, like, you know what? I think a lot of people similar to me are probably really busy in January, just like getting back to school and getting back to work and all that stuff. They probably haven't had the time to do this too. So I got the idea to do this webinar called 2022 Your Thriving Year. It is literally just a webinar. It'll be 40 minutes and then 20 minutes of Q&A where you can ask me whatever the heck you want. Um, but it is really going to be about discussing how to set your financial goals, how to stay motivated, throughout the year and just like how to put the wheels in motion to thrive, not just survive with your finances this year. So if you need, um, you know, some guidance or some, some, you know, you want something to kind of kick your butt into gear to get things going, this is why I'm doing this webinar. I want to lay out kind of what I have done in the past and what I do pretty much every year so I can set my goals. And this can be your financial goals, but this can also be like life goals, career goals, whatever. You can use the same strategy. Um, how to organize it, break it down so it, you know, it's more chunkified 
simplified and uh, more actionable and how to actually then move forward. Because I will say, not to do my own horn, but since I've really been doing this kind of method for the past like over five years now, um, I have been, I would say every year I'm 80 to 90%, um, I, I, I'm successful in, in uh, crushing about 80 to 90% of my goals, if that makes sense. Which is funny because, you know, as a perfectionist, I'm like, well, it's not 100%. And then you look back and you're like, girl, it does not matter that you are um, not perfect and you don't get 100% of your goals. I mean, that's very difficult to do. Getting like even 80 to 90% is better than 0%, right? And you would get 0% if you do not create a plan and actually put those wheels in motion. So this is why I am doing this webinar. I would love for you to join me. It is happening uh, tonight. If you're listening to this in real time, uh, February 2nd, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you go to the show notes, there will be a link for it or just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash thriving year. And if you're asking yourself, well, I can't make it or I'm listening to this in the future, that's totally okay. I am going to be really nice and I'm going to include the replay of this webinar in my free resource library. In case you don't know, I have a free resource library. I'm actually going to be doing some updates to a bunch of things because um, I am like updating my website and all this stuff. But uh, right now I've, I've already kind of updated um, how I'm housing like some of my spreadsheets and, and just free resources. Um, and if you just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash resources, you can sign up for free, get access to all of these things. And I will, and there's already some past webinars in there. I'm going to include this in there too, just to make it easy, just to make it easy. Um, so yeah, so you can take advantage of that. So there you go. That's exciting. I'm super excited for it. Um, let's see what else is going on in my, what, what else is going on? That is the question, isn't it? I just feel literally like every day I get up and I'm working for, you know, until it's dark and I know it gets dark pretty early, but you know, I just feel like every day I've just been like trying to get things done and catch up and stuff like that. And part of the reason I think is because, well, you know, lots of, you know, work stuff, right. And you take work when you can, cause you're self-employed and you got to take the work. But also I've been doing a big update of my wealth building blueprint for Canadians investing course. If you have never heard about this, cause you're new, hello, welcome. Um, so this is a course I've created last February. So we're almost at the one year, uh, anniversary, which is very exciting. Um, and uh, it was a course that I wanted to create to be a place where you can learn about the the fundamentals, the really key things you need to know about investing and creating your own investment plan. But then also, you know, the other side of it, how do you actually start investing and how to invest in a passive way? Because I'm a boring passive in index investor, and I have never been more happy that that's what I am during the past like year with all the crazy, you know, I mean, this episode was evidence. There's a lot of craziness going on <laughs> in the investing world, but um, it just makes me feel good because I know exactly what I'm doing. It makes a lot of logical sense. And uh, a lot of people want to learn how to actually invest and not just gamble and speculate because, you know, someone on TikTok told you to or something like that. Um, so anyways, if you want to learn about how to actually build wealth for the long term, invest in index funds, and feel confident about what you're investing in, well, that's why I created this course, Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. If you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash WBB, or again, there will be a link in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 313. Um, you can find information about what the curriculum is, uh, student testimonials, and then you can apply uh, to the course. Once you apply, if you're approved, then you get on a call with me. And then we have a nice little chat to see if this is the right uh, step for you in your investing journey. So it is um, not everyone's approved. Um, it really is about people that are um, wanting to learn this stuff and apply it and then 
this is like the right fit for you. So if you're looking to learn about meme stocks or NFTs, this ain't for you. We don't do that. Um, So but if you're interested in, you know, saving enough for retirement through index investing, that's this is what we're about. Um, So that's the other thing that I've been like, yeah, just spending all my time on and then otherwise just getting amazing guests for this podcast. Honestly, I'm pretty proud of myself. I've booked enough guests to get me all the way till May. And they're amazing guests. I will have to say I'm very excited about them. Um, so anyways, I'm going to I'm going to leave it there because you've got a busy day and you're an important person. And you know, I'm going to be respectful of your time. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. A big shout out to my podcast editor, Matt Rideout. And I will see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.